Grab your Bibles and stand with me if you can. We're working our way through scripture verse by verse. We are in the book of Acts as we have been traveling. We have uh, seen the church rise into being in Jerusalem after Pentecost. And then we have young men who are getting ready to go out and take the gospel into the whole world. We are in this section of scripture where missions are just introduced. Verse 1, now Saul was consenting in Stephen's death. And at that time, a great persecution arose in the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. And there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries or his magic for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized. And he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were were all Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now this morning, that you might send your Holy Spirit here so that we might learn, understand who you are and what it is you have for us. So teach us now, change us, Lord, that we might be different people when we leave this place. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's children agreed by saying, amen. amen. You may be seated, please. So as I said, we are studying about the beginning of missionary work in the world. For some people, that's a terrible word, but uh, for those who believe Scripture and who Jesus is, it's the Great Commission on your life and on mine. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We read about the gospel in Acts chapter 8, beginning to move beyond Jerusalem into the world. So the gospel is the greatest story ever told about the greatest sacrifice ever made by the greatest person who ever lived, giving the greatest gift ever offered. In the past few months, as we studied through the book of Acts, we saw Jesus give instructions to his disciples before he went into heaven. Stay here, Acts 1.8 and bring the gospel, the good news, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it turns out that Acts 1-8 is in fact a, a formula of what God was going to do by the Holy Spirit over the next, really, 2,000 years. We are still in that time. 
We are in the time of missions when the door is still open for people in every tribe, in every language group, in every race to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for them, no matter what their background is, all they need to do is surrender to him and ask for him to forgive their sins. It's the free gift. We're in the time of the Gentiles when every person can come. This is the tipping point. This is the trigger. This man's death, Stephen's death, was the trigger that would send out all the people who were in Jerusalem who had been there since the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. And now they're being scattered. You'll notice the word is used twice in the first four sentences. They're scattered as seeds is scattered, and then a harvest is about ready to come. And all that comes about in the first seven chapters in Jerusalem, and now in the eighth chapter, Samaria, and then the ninth chapter, it goes beyond into the whole world. So you have to decide in your mind as you hear the news, as you read it, as you hear people talking about things like colonization and, and oppressing people, that's not to say that it hasn't happened, but you have to look at it through a different lens as a believer. You have to have a worldview that sees God moving in every life, in every person in the earth, and the way he intends for them to be saved for eternity, to, to share heaven with him for eternity, is that you and I would go and share that love. So, chapter 7, first martyr, Stephen. He was one of the seven who had been appointed to be a deacon. He comes from the lowliest position in the church in Jerusalem, which God likes to do today. He likes to take servants who are willing to go and do anything he asks of them. You probably didn't notice, but when you walked in any of the doors into the sanctuary, if you looked up, you'll see a little sign that says, Servants Entrance. See, I, I, I tricked you. So you're all servants, and that's exactly what God tells us we are to be. And as you leave, you might notice it says, You are entering world missions. You're going into all the earth. When you leave these doors, just to remind you of a worldview that God wants you to embrace, wants you to have as your understanding of the priorities of God on the earth today. So, seven men were chosen to wait on tables for widows. We had a dispute going on in the first church. Who would have thunk? How is it possible a church might have a dispute? And rather than split, they took seven young men who had a Greek background, who were Greek speakers, at least we can assume that by their names. And the first one we saw was Stephen. And so he turns out to be not just a great waiter of tables, not just a great servant, he also became one who pronounce the good news to the Sanhedrin, the, the high court, the supreme court of Israel. It was made up of 70 rabbis and one chief priest. So 71 judges he faced, and that's chapter 7 we finished last time we were together. If you don't know the history of Israel, you should read his sermon, if you will, that he gave as his defense in the Supreme Court. It's very articulate, easy to understand, and very powerful. Everybody who has ever read it and heard it thought that, except the 71 men who were judging him. They didn't like his message. And so they ruled against him, and they sent him out to be stoned to death, a brutal way to die. And we covered that last time. It's, that's the section we're breaking into now. Now, one more note. Let me remind you about Samaria. You may not think you know anything about it, but in John chapter 4, if you were with us, Jesus took his disciples through Samaria. It was like the next county 
above Jerusalem. And when they got there, Jesus sent them into town, and he went to what was Jacob's well that Jacob had dug hundreds of years late, earlier, and he saw a woman there, the woman at the well in Samaria. He, was, he started talking with her and uh, asked her for water, and, uh, and she was a little, as the British say, cheeky with him, didn't know who she was talking to. And, uh, and so finally, Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water. And then you wouldn't be thirsty again. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's a Samaritan. And Jesus told her to go get her husband. Uh, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that's right, you've had five, and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> oh, much more than a prophet. You're talking to God, the son. So she goes and gets the men from the city of Samaria, and they're all astounded by the things that Jesus taught them. Now, it's 50 or 60 years later, maybe 35, that uh, they are there again, only this time it's this young man who sent one of the seven, one of the waiters, if you will, in Jerusalem, and he goes to Samaria. This section breaks up into three parts, verse one through four, the scattered seed, the seed of the gospel, the good news, God died for you, and all you must do is surrender to him and ask for his forgiveness, and you'll spend eternity with him, then Samaria, the field, the harvest field, because it was at Samaria that Jesus first opened the discussion about the fields being white for harvest. What's the field? Not just Samaria, it's the entire earth. Everywhere on the earth, the gospel is to go. And then the last section, the Holy Spirit, giving power, 14 through 17. That's where we're going. Let's jump in, starting in verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. We, we mentioned this quickly last week. It, it also means that he, he voted for, that he was there and wanted Stephen to be killed, to be stoned to death. Now, many experts take this to mean that Saul was, in fact, one of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the 70 justices. We don't know that for sure. It raises questions about whether Saul, who would later become Paul the Apostle, whether he was, in fact, married or not, because you had to be married to be a member of the Sanhedrin, and a lot of different qualifications. But he was at least in green with this young man being um, convicted of blasphemy to death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered. That word appears twice in these first four verses. The scattering of seed. You see, the gospel is someone planting, then someone maybe watering, and then someone later coming along and harvesting. And you and I who are here who have surrendered our lives to God, someone planted the seed in your life. Somebody planted it in mine. And it's scary to do that. Sometimes it's very frightening to go to somebody who you know is anti-Christianity, anti-Jesus, and that you would open the door for them. I mean, I was a 26-year-old atheist teaching and working in a laboratory, a biochemist, and somebody had enough guts to say, I don't know anything about chemistry, but let me tell you about God. I, actually, I was married to her, so I couldn't get away from her. But she wasn't afraid of me at all. She still isn't. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful, I'm eternally thankful that she was gutsy enough to say, but you don't know God. And, of course, my answer was arrogant and foolish, and sometimes it still is. But you are called upon, I'm called upon to do that for other people. Take the chance. Step out and say something. Goodness. So, and it might have a profound effect, as it did on Saul. The thing that got to Saul 
was this young man dying, Stephen, that he said, I, I looked up into heaven and I can see the Son of Man. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of Father God. And that infuriated those who were about ready to stone him, and they did, but it caught Saul. He'd never seen anyone die like that. He'd never see anyone face death and who was perfectly at peace with it. In fact, was welcoming to it in the sense of, I, I see where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. And that had a profound effect on Saul. And it wouldn't be very long until God in, he had a God encounter where he had to deal with the reality of who Jesus is, verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen, his body, to his burial after he was stoned to death and made great lamentations over him. There's a controversy about this verse. We don't know if they were devout Jews who felt terrible about him being stoned to death or they were devout Christians because it doesn't say. But the great lamentations makes me suspicious that they were not believers in Jesus Christ because there's a certain, as Paul would later write, that you... Uh, you don't have uh, a sorrow that the world does, that you are not without hope. You have hope because you know there's more beyond this. This is not the end. There's eternity. But these men were making great lamentation, open mourning for someone that, uh, in the Jewish faith. And as for Paul, or Saul, who is now still Saul of Tarsus, he made havoc of the church. And that word havoc means to destroy utterly. It, it was used to describe armies that would come in and, and destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD, not long after this. We think this is about 39 AD. And uh, he would make havoc of the church, not just in Jerusalem, but he would go out. In fact, he was on his way to another country, Damascus, Syria, to destroy the church there when, God, when he had his God encounter, when Jesus knocked him off his high horse. So he was dragging men and women and committing them into prison. And when we get to Acts chapter 22, uh, we'll read that the church was persecuted unto death. And so Saul wasn't just throwing people in prison. He was actually stoning people to death. Verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered, there's that word again, went everywhere preaching the word. Interesting. You see, God wanted them to go, and they weren't willing. And so God has ways <laughs> to make us willing to do something that we would never do just in the natural. Go into a foreign land, go to some place that is dangerous, and tell people about Jesus. Goodness gracious, no one in their right mind would do that, would they? <laughs> unless they knew God was telling them to do that, to do that very thing. And so if on your way out, you look on the left-hand side, you'll see a missions board of about 50 different missionaries that we support all over the world. And we try and go regularly uh, to visit and encourage and strengthen them. Most of you know Pastor Greg spent many years in uh, Budapest, Hungary, but not just there, he also started churches uh, all over the uh, ex-Iron Curtain area in Sibutitsa uh, and uh, various parts of what was then the communist Iron Curtain. And so we, we try and encourage you to consider doing the same thing. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to go. Let's see, Moses had a call in his life when he was 80? God called him out at 80 years old to go back to Egypt? No, uh, uh, mm -mm. Well, I, I can't speak very well. Moses said the same thing to God. And God sent him anyway and rescued his people. So, scattered and now Samaria, the harvest field. So Philip went down, verse 5, to the city of Samaria. When you leave the 
city of Jerusalem, everything is down, even though this is north from Jerusalem. He went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. Now, Samaria, first of all, this is Philip. He's the first missionary. Some people say it's Paul, but that's not right. This is the first one to go from Judea, the area around Jerusalem, to Samaria, which is like the first county north. Now, Samaria has an interesting background. It's hard to see that, but that's the nation of Israel. The blue uh, spot up on the top right is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River running down from it. And you'll see that uh, just west of the Jordan River, and right about the center, is uh, Samaria, is, is the city of Sychar. Uh, a lot of names down through the ages. So Philip goes and uh, he brings the good news to the city of Samaria. Now, who are the Samaritans? And I, I don't want to take too much time with this, but I want to give you a, a few ideas to help you think. That's a Samaritan Torah scroll. The Samaritans have their own version of the first five books of Moses. That's actually the thought of a sixth century um, vellum that is uh, Genesis. And the story is slightly different. They changed it to make their own story fit better. You remember when Jesus back was back at the, uh, the Jacob's well in Samaria, the woman argued with him because he said, you Jews say we have to go down to Jerusalem to worship on Mount Moriah. But our fathers said that we should go up on Mount Gerizim right here, which was right at the foot of the well, uh, Jacob's well. And Jesus said, woman, the time is coming. And in fact, now is. That it's not where you worship that's important, but how you worship. I mean, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Mount Gerizim, in their version of the Bible, is where Jacob uh, built his first altar and sacrifice, even though it's Ebal, according to the uh, Masoretic text, the, the Hebrew text. So uh, this is a shot of the high priest having Passover uh, in Samaria, and the Samaritan men all wear those little skull caps. And uh, we have another shot of him here uh, standing with, uh, that's Pastor Bob's son, Alex Probert, and that's the chief high priest of Samaria a few years ago. Uh, Alex was there studying. And there they are. He's holding up the Torah scrolls of these five books. So the Samaritans are uh, uh, interesting people. There's only about 700 of them alive still today. But let me remind you of the story. 10th century, 10 centuries before Jesus, the kingdom is split, and 10 tribes go north to stay up there in the northern part, and two, Benjamin and Judah, stay in the south. And they began warring against each other. So the 10 in the north decided it wasn't right for everybody to go down to the temple south to Jerusalem, so they built their own temple. And they began to worship up there, but they didn't have any Levitical priests, so they were doing it against God. And so God sends an Assyrian army, almost the same area as Syria is today, plus going all the way up into Turkey and around into Iraq and Iran. And they came down, and they took 10 tribes in 722. They took them off into captivity, the seven, excuse me, the 10 tribes in the north. And they, Assyrians had a strange thing. They would take the people from one country and then take people from the other countries that they had conquered and bring them into the newly conquered country. And so they brought all these uh, people who were from Greece, who were from Turkey, who were from Iraq and Iran into the northern part of Israel. And so that created a problem. Ethnically, that they were Gentiles, mixing with the few Jews that were left there, and religiously because they were idol worshipers. I'm trying to give you the quick story here. And so this is a, a battle going back and forth. So when God finally sent 
the two southern tribes to the woodshed in Babylon, if you understand. My, my father used the woodshed when I was out of control. It's not a very popular subject today, but I earned every spanking I got, okay? And so God took them to Babylon for 70 years. And when he sent them back after 70 years in captivity and they lost their taste for idols because Babylon was the center of idol worship on the earth, they came back and started to rebuild. Well, the tribes up in the north who are now a mixture and even a mixture religiously and racially, they came down and said, we want to help. And Ezra said, no, you, you can't because you're worshiping uh, idols and God's very first commandment, don't have any other gods before you, you can't. And so they had an argument, went north. That's the Samaritans, all the pictures you're looking at. Uh, that's in fact Mount Gerizim and what it looked like in uh, the 1900s, one of the earliest photographs I could find. So the Samaritans, as I said, are still there today, but that's where this young man, Philip, has gone. So he goes to a place that nobody wants to go to. Now, the multitude, verse 6, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, seeing and hearing the miracles that he did. So Philip also wasn't just a servant waiting on tables in Jerusalem. When he went out, God began to funnel miracles through him. He became a conduit of the Holy Spirit, which is what God wants you to be too. So full of the Holy Spirit that you leak. Hello? That the Holy Spirit flows out of you to others. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 7. He said, come and drink of me, all you who thirst. And out of you will come rivers of living water. Thus spoke he of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to take in the Holy Spirit when you come to church, you're reminded, and you should be saying, oh my goodness, Lord, please fill me again. Because how much more, Jesus, or Paul said, how much more of the Holy Spirit will be given to those who ask? All we have to do is ask for more. And he gives you more. So that then you go out during the week and you're taking a risk and you're telling people about what God means to you and you leak out the Holy Spirit, and then you come back and you get filled again at church or in your own prayer closet or in your quiet time. That's God's call in your life to be in a constant process of taking in the Holy Spirit and giving him out. That's what Philip is doing. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, seeing and hearing these miracles which he did. Now, Philip is reaping what Jesus sowed. Hello? Back to John chapter 4. Jesus said, look, the fields are white for harvest. Go into the fields and harvest. That's what Philip is doing in Samaria. Most Jews wouldn't even go in Samaria. They would try and go around it. He goes right there. Verse 7, for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame and healing. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you were some kind of clinical scientist. You actually believe in demon possession? I do, because I also spent three and a half years in the mission field, and I saw it in foreign countries. I've seen it in, here in California. I've seen it in Redlands. I saw it working in a couple of hospitals in this area and one mental health clinic. Yes, people mess with sorcery, we'll see in a little bit, sorcery, uh, going to a different source than God for power. And the next thing you know, you've got problems. He gets this beautiful gift of deliverance for people and healing. And that brought about, verse 8, great joy in the city. Do you remember the day you got saved? 
I remember the day I did vividly. Now, maybe you're one of those people that say, well, I don't know. The day, I just have been walking with the Lord since I was a little kid. And that's fine. That's good. But they had just experienced by repenting the peace with God and the peace of God in their lives. And it brought great joy to them. They had discovered that there was joy in heaven when just one of them surrendered. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner surrenders their life. Well, I don't want to surrender. God gave you free will, and you can keep ignoring him. But it turns out that when you begin to understand that when he takes your sin away, that it frees you to become everything he intended you to be. I don't know what he intended you to be. Being a pastor was the last thing I would ever want to do. I was perfectly fine being a chemist. It was, I thought, wonderful. But then, my goodness, salvation. So what about this joy thing? One of my favorite missionaries is a guy named Anadondra Judson. And we know the word Judson because there are a lot of judges. He was a Baptist. a lot of Judson Baptist churches around. But he went in the early 1800s, the first man to go to Burma, which is called Myanmar today. Uh, I was there a few years ago, and we took in Bibles to Myanmar because the only translation of the Bible in Burmese was done by Judson in the early 1800s. So he's an Englishman. He gets to Burma. They don't have any Bibles. He doesn't speak a word of Burmese, but he tries to start learning so he can translate the Bible. And he's walking down the road one day, and he sees a Burmese guy walking towards him. And, and he, he said he suddenly felt the love of God for this man. He represented the whole country. And he ran over to him and hugged him, which, of course, Burmese would never do. Uh, he was socially unacceptable in the way he was greeting him. But he said, I love you in Jesus' name. And then he went away. Two weeks later, the man showed up at Judson's house with someone who could translate for him. And he said this to Judson through the translator. I want to hear about your religion. I never have heard the words of it, but I have heard the laughter in your house and in the houses of my countrymen who have embraced your faith. Since what you have makes people so joyous, I want it. There it is, just the simple excitement of having your sins forgiven. And other people see that on your face. They, they see that in your life, and they, they ask you about it. So, joy. But there was a certain man, verse 9, called Simeon, or Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in that city, Samaria, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. He's a magu. He was where we get the word magi. He was uh, an Eastern mystic who, uh, here it's called sorcery. The root word is uh, magic, but also the word uh, for sorcery is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. It's using drugs to have a spiritual experience or have an out-of-body experience of some kind. Now, I want to change this just a little bit because I want to bring attention to what is an epidemic in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our nation. Fentanyl is a drug. It's being produced mostly in China, but also in Mexico and in parts of California. That is a regular number two pencil. And on the tip of it is two very small amount of, I don't get into all the technical chemistry stuff, um, but that's two milligrams, okay, of fentanyl. That'll kill you that much. It's such a powerful sedative that the people that are getting it bring it into the country, selling to your children at the high school, don't know how much to make. 
how much to put in the tablet that they're compressing together. That is a, a, a regular penny. And uh, notice fentanyl, again, two milligrams of fentanyl, enough to kill one person. And so when a kid or an adult is buying fentanyl, they have no idea how much is really in the tablet. And they just take it thinking it's like an aspirin and it's already regulated and we know how many milligrams there are of it, but we don't. And so we have an epidemic of people dying. Now, now you know, Tom Petty, great guitar player and singer, died recently, bought some fentanyl, thought he was supposed to take one tablet. There was enough in that one tablet to kill a thousand people. He took it and was dead in 30 seconds. Wow. How about Prince? You know that name. Great guitar player and great singer. He grew up 20 miles from here. Same thing. You see, the lie is that these were drug addicts used to heroin, and they take the same amount. No, no, that's not what's going on. They buy what they think is the right amount, but nobody's watching over it. There's no FDA. There's no regulation. And so one little tiny amount. Now, just to put it in perspective, fentanyl has what's called analogs, and those are chemical equivalents that have a carboxyl group added to it or, or some other chemistry, you know, those chemistry diagrams you've seen. Sorry, I'm reverting to my background. Um, but fentanyl, when it's made in a laboratory that isn't carefully controlled, it carboxylates. It adds a carboxyl group to it. Carboxylphenylene is the most powerful sedative on earth. In fact, they use it Vets, veterinaries, use it to knock out elephants at the San Diego Zoo. One dose of fentanyl, carboxyl fentanyl, will take down an elephant. And so you buy the wrong stuff from the wrong guy or your kid does, or worse, maybe you have a prescription of it at your house because it's a legally prescribed drug. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, lock it up. Lock it up. Someone could be thinking, well, that will be fine. It's not fine. So, fentanyl, about 100 times more powerful than heroin, straight heroin. Verse 10. That was a fun trip, wasn't it? Sorry. You come to church here, you get all kinds of extracurricular information that you didn't expect or want, really. Verse 10. To whom? They all gave heed, and from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a powerful... They thought that Simon was this great, powerful man because he was doing these magic tricks. Some of it having to do with drugs, some of it just sleight of hand. Now, we know magicians today sell their best tricks to other magicians, and magicians pay thousands of dollars for a great, uh, a great trick. They heeded him, Simon, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Take this little tablet and you'll see things you never imagined. <laughs> and that's true. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached, the waiter from Jerusalem, then um, preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Signs and wonders and miracles were going on, but that's not why it says people got saved. They got saved because he preached the things, he spoke of the things of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. Now, that's good news for all of us. You see, we don't have to be able to do miracles. In fact, the greatest prophet in the New Testament is John the Baptist. And it was said of John the Baptist that he didn't do any miracles. All he did was spoke of Jesus. What? That's all you have to do. That's all I have to do. What does Jesus mean to you in your life? That's what he's encouraging us to do. Jesus loves you, died for you, and wants to live inside you. It's that simple. Just say it. 13. Then Simon himself also believed. But there was something else going on in his heart. We'll see next week. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing again 
these miracles and signs which were done. So he was a man who uh, was looking for uh, an addition to his magic repertoire. He wanted to add to it. Last section, Holy Spirit. And when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, this is actually kind of funny when you remember the background. So Peter and John are going to this area where Jews would normally not want to go. The last time John was there with Peter and his brother James was in Luke chapter 9. And there, if you go back and read it, starting in verse 52, uh, Jesus sent them into the city of Samaria to find a place for them to stay. And they came back and said, the Samaritans don't want any Jews who are on their way to, uh, down to Jerusalem to have Passover because they had their own Passover there up in Samaria. And so they refused to take Jesus in. So John and James, they're pretty incensed. And they come back to Jesus and said, they, they won't give you any food or lodging. You want us to call down fire from heaven and, and burn down the whole village? And Jesus said, you don't know what matter of things that you're saying. No, no, no. I, I've been with you for three years, and you think the answer is to smoke people? No, no. And so now all of a sudden, 15 or 12 years later, John finds himself back there again, and Peter too to the same people that he was mad at enough to want to destroy and burn the whole place down. Now, I point that out to you because I want you to remember that God is the God of the second chance. This is John's second chance to go back to the very same people and to share Jesus with them. But for Peter, he's the God of the fourth chance. Because Peter denied him three times, you'll remember. Now it's Peter's fourth chance. And he'll go and he'll be obedient. I don't know what you came in with this morning. I, I don't know what thing that you've done that you're sure you've done it too many times. God's never going to forgive you this time. That's a lie from hell. God never says no when we repent. 1 John 1, 9, if we're faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise from God. How about Micah? A little more obscure, verse seven eighteen. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry, but delight and show mercy. That's the character of God. How about Joel 2.13? So don't rent your clothing in repentance. Rent your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. God is gracious. You remember that word, Grace is not getting what you deserve. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor with God. You see, God likes you. <laughs> he really does. More than that, he loves you. His thoughts towards you, Psalm 119 says, are more numerous than the sands of the sea. He thinks about you all the time. Yeah, but if you knew what I did, Pastor. No, no, no. That's not the way he thinks about you. His, his thoughts about you are more numerous than the stars in the sky. He longs to be merciful and to forgive you and restart your life again. He is the God of the second, third, fourth, fifth, 737th opportunity forgiveness choice. So, John gets another opportunity to minister to the Samaritans. And when they, who, when they had come down, verse 15, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. One of the most basic principles 
if you have ever scuba dived, I used to years ago and go out to Catalina and pry abalone off the, the shelf. Of course, they're endangered species now, but uh, you use a knife and you, you pry them off. And um, the instructor said, uh, be careful with that knife because if you cut your air supply, you only have a few seconds to get to the surface. So you're real careful when you pull a knife out around scuba gear. Cutting your air supply is like not having the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is God, and God wants to fill your life to overflowing, as we said earlier. For as of yet, verse 16, he had fallen upon none of them. The Holy Spirit had not fallen. The word upon is important here. There are three Greek words, N-E-N or I-C-E-I-S, which means inside you. That happens when you surrender to God. You say, God, forgive my sins, take my life, I surrender. And the Holy Spirit comes inside you. That's the new covenant. That's Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll put in your heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. And I'll write my law of love on your heart. And I will cause you to walk in my ways. The Holy Spirit inside you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside you, that's E-N, that's in you. Now he said the Holy Spirit has not come upon, Greek preposition, epi, E-P-I, over overflowing, the Holy Spirit flowing out of your life. And how do you get that? I want that. You ask for it. How much more of the Holy Spirit will be given to them that ask? So probably now is a good time. While I'm talking, babbling on about the Holy Spirit, you say, Lord, I, I need more of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to become a conduit. I want to become a pipeline of the Holy Spirit from heaven to other people around me. So when they laid hand, they'd been baptized, but, uh, and the Holy Spirit had come in them, but when they laid hands upon them, they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And the gifts of the Spirit would become evident in their lives. You should know what gifts the Holy Spirit has given you. If you don't know, go study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Because it's a listing there, and God wants you to know what gifts he's giving to you. He gives good gifts to his children. Okay, let me try and sum it all up. So we had this lesson of what was going on in the land of Israel for 2,000 years before Jesus. And the description is in chapter 7. And it's really the, the message, the sermon, the defense that Stephen gave before the Sanhedrin. And if you have any questions about how long, who has been in the land of Israel because of all that's going on in the news, just go read that. That's what God says is true. And when he finished it, then they killed him. But out of his life, six other men begin to go out into the world. And then the apostles begin to go. And the gospel moved from just Jerusalem to the counties around, to the country around, to all the countries in the Levant, the area around the Mediterranean, and would spill over into Western Europe, and you and I are the recipients of that going. So you have an obligation to continue in that. You received because somebody went. Somebody took that chance to tell whoever was your your heritage uh, into Christianity. So God wants your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants your life to be full of joy, and he wants you to have everything you need to serve him. So I love the true story about two Hungarians that wanted to come to America right after the Second World War. You may have heard this story before, true story. And the only way, of course, was to come on a cruise ship. So they scaped together all their money, sold everything they owned, two brothers, to get on this cruise ship to buy tickets to come to America, six-week trip. So they get on this cruise ship, and, uh, and be right before they got on, they bought the biggest chunk of cheese they could buy and the freshest bread. 
And so they brought their food with them. And they're in their cabin, and first night they had a, a great dinner of fresh bread and cheese. Next morning they had not quite so fresh bread and cheese. And then the next night they had not fresh at all bread and cheese. And the following morning, it was as hard as a rock. Well, that night they're hungry, and they're walking up and down because they couldn't eat any more of this cheese, and they walked past the dining room, and all these people, there's food that went on for days, and they walked past it, and there was a, a deckhand, and they walked up to him, and he said, hey, is there anything we can do? Can we, can we you know, wash down the, the floor? Can we mop? Can we do anything so we can get some more food? And the guy says, food? Do you have tickets? Reach in her pocket. Yeah, we have tickets. He said, read those tickets. He said, we can't read very good. It says you get free meals all the way to America. You've been eating bread and cheese. Maybe that's your story. You've been eating bread and cheese all your life up until this moment, and God is saying, I got a banquet table for you. And when you get to heaven, you ain't seen nothing yet. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for you. Why don't you stand, please, and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to spend eternity with you. Thank you that you are more than ready to forgive any person who comes and surrenders their lives. And most of us in this room have experienced that, Lord. That's why we're here, to worship you. But we pray for anyone here who isn't walking with you, Lord, and ask that you would give them grace, that you would give them the ability to surrender to you, to ask you to forgive their sins, and to experience this great joy and this fullness of life you have for them. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's somebody here, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here before. We had a guy here, a couple last night for the first time. And they never heard anyone give them an opportunity to get saved. They'd come from a denomination. They didn't know that was even available. It is. God's just waiting for you to say, I surrender. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life, would you let me know you're ready by looking at me and raising your hand? And I'll just acknowledge it and we'll pray at the end. Young man in the back. Yes, two of you. God bless you. You, sir. Yes, God bless you. Behind the sound booth. God bless you. Right in front of me. God bless you. Anyone over here God is speaking to? Yes, you, sir. If I miss your hand, don't worry, God didn't. Those of you that raised your hands, would you pray this simple prayer? We're going to do it together to make it easy for you. We're all going to ask God to forgive our sins and he's going to do it right where you're standing. Everybody, please say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.